turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll get going with the second part. Um, <clears throat> this, this series that we've been doing is, the, the title of it, I didn't think of anything better, and I was like, well, this will work. Uh, to do, we must be. And really what we're doing is, in Ephesians chapter 2 here, Paul talks about, and of course, last, last time we talked about time past, but now and ages to come. But what's really interesting is, there's also a personal time past, a personal but now, and a personal age to come for us individually. Not just as members of the body of Christ and everything that God's done throughout the, throughout the ages, but there's a personal one here. Notice here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of, of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you again for the time that we have here to be able to study your word, the, the ability to actually be able to meet, uh, whether it's in person or, or by way of internet, uh, we're thankful uh, for the things that we have. We're thankful for the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And we're also thankful that you've taken us out of who we were and placed us into your son. And when you look at us, you see your son and his righteousness. And we're thankful for that. Uh, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, uh, as we said before, we've gone through and we talked about our past, which is really verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 there in Ephesians chapter 2. And we've talked about that, and we said that doesn't paint a really good picture for us, right? When we look at this, he says, And you hath he quickened. Now, that's good. The fact that he says, And you hath he quickened, he's saying, God has made you alive. Notice, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's who we were. Now, one of the things we're going to talk about moving on today is who are we now and how does that factor into life, right? Because that's the key thing. And everybody always looks for, I want something practical. What can I use in my life? And the most practical thing you're ever going to get in your life is doctrine, and you have to have the doctrine in order for it to work in you. It's not going to work in you just supernaturally. God's going to make you do stuff. You've got to have that built up in you. And we'll talk about that as we go through here. But notice here he says what? Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. And I always, always liken that to a, a, a high school course or, or a college course. There's a course in which we're taught how to walk according to this course of the world, according to the prince of power of the air. Satan is the one who created this course. He is the one that designed the coursework and says, here's what you need to do to be able to live in the world. Now, we've talked about this before. Paul talks about the fact that we are spirit, 
soul and body, right? And we've talked about the fact that we are a three-part being. We have a spirit, we are a soul, and we have a body that we are currently in. Now, what takes place is, out here in the world, there is a course that attacks the body and says, this is what will make you feel good about yourself and about your life or whatever it is. And what that does is goes down here into your soul and then in your spirit. And what that does is that creates fear, shame, all this other stuff that we shouldn't have to deal with. But that's the system that the world will produce. That's the design that Satan has to work this way. Now, it's really interesting because the way that God looks at it is this way. And so we've talked about the fact that we have a book that we read, we study, we bring it into our spirit. God put his spirit and his life in the word. When you look at that word inspiration, inside that word is spirit. God has taken his spirit and his life and put it in that book. And when we come to that book and we read that book, what it does is it speaks to our spirit. When we actually believe the words on the page, we move it from our head down into our heart where the soul is, and then we say, body, you need to go do based on this. This doctrine that we get here won't become profitable to you until we get it from our head to our heart. And so then, that's why these things are so important when we take a look at this. Notice here, we, we, we lived this way. And he's saying, now what I want you to do is don't live that way anymore, live this way. And what's going to happen, we talked about it over in Ecclesiastes, it says, much study is a weariness to the flesh. Not just study, but much study. And I've thought about that. And of course, you know, if you study a lot, it does get tiring. It does. But then also I got to thinking, what does the flesh find out the more you study? The flesh finds out I'm not that big. <laughs> I'm not that good. Right? And what happens is when we take God's Word and put it down into our spirit, when we actually believe it, we move it to our soul, and then that's when 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 takes place. Right? We get First Thessalonians chapter two verse thirteen, <clears throat> because that is the issue when it comes to doing. Right, Paul talks about those things that you've both heard and seen and learned and, and learned and heard and seen and me do. He says, "Do." Well, how do we do that? Notice here, First Thessalonians two thirteen. For this cause, and of course he's talking about walking worthy of God in verse 12. Verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, when ye heard, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men. Right? We've talked about that before. The, the words on the page contain God's life. They're not just... Paul decided to write something down because he felt good about something. Or uh, David is like, well, I feel inspired. Like, I want to write it down. This is, this is God's word that he preserved, that he created, that was, that was settled in heaven forever. 
And he said, I'm going to take and reveal myself to man, my creation, and I'm going to use inspiration to take my life and put it on paper. And then I'm going to take illumination and take that off the paper into the heart and the soul of man when they believe it. Notice here. Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that what? It's not just enough about knowing it. I know the verses, I know the verses, I know the verses, I know the verses. Why is my life still a mess? Well, if you believe the verses. Because what's going to happen is that word will not work effectually in you until you what? Move it from here to there. And then you say, body, you're going to go perform and do what I am according to what God's Word says I am. And that's why it's important for us to understand who we are. Now, what's interesting here, and I've, I've mentioned this before, how is, that going, how is that that going to work? Notice when Paul says at the very end there, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. He's saying the Word of God will work effectually in you when you believe. And notice he says, also in you. Now, I was always, I'm always curious, so if I see a word, and I'm like, okay, there are no fillers in the Bible. What's that word also there for? Well, I was reading through here one day. Notice in verse 10. He's talking to the folks in Thessalonica. He says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And who is the, the we there? Well, you go back to chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, how did they behave? They behaved what? Holily, justly, and unblameably. How? They believed the words on the page, and he says the words in the, on the page are going to work in you effectually also as you've seen it work in us when you actually believe the words on the page. Not just that we know them, but we actually believe what they say. And we've talked about this before. <clears throat> when we wake up in the morning, do we always feel, I'm made the righteousness of God in Him? No. But what's the verse say? We are. So what do we need to do? Believe it. Live based off of that identity. When we talk about the identity in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, it's not just a theological idea. It's an, it's an actual practical idea that we can take and say, this is who we are, let's go live that. Real quick, let's go back to Romans chapter 3. And we'll take a look at some of these verses because this is really where it comes from, right? And all the time, we don't always feel like or we don't always act like we are made the righteousness of God in Him. But the good thing is, is we know, according to Ephesians and Colossians, that we are already, we have been forgiven of all trespasses. If we do something, we say, Lord, thank you for already forgiving me for this, and I want to go and take the doctrine and replace that thing with something else. So when we talk about that putting off and the putting on when we get over to Ephesians and Colossians, when we get to that point, we say, I'm going to take this thing that is against God and I'm going to get that out of my life. We don't just get rid of it. We have to replace it with something else. And the only thing we can replace it is, or with, is our identity of who we are in Christ. Notice here in Romans chapter 3, 
We looked at verses 21 and 22. Um, verse 24. <clears throat> Notice this. When, when, when I talk about to do we must be, um, and I use, that, I use that kind of inappropriately, and I do that on purpose, we must know who we be before we can go who we be. So really, we, know that we need to know who we are before we go live like who we are. Right? So I do that on purpose. But there's, there's an issue with that word being. Notice here in verse 24. <clears throat> being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Question. Are we in the process of becoming justified or are we already declared justified? We're justified. We're justified. And he's saying, because you're justified freely by His grace through so the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that's a statement of fact of who we are. It's not some process that we're trying to gain. It's something that God says, this is who you are. This is who I see you as. And that's why we say all the time, when God looks at us, He doesn't look at us in all of our failures. He says, I've already taken care of all that stuff, and I look at you as if you are my son because you are. Romans chapter 8, that's what he gets to. He talks about the fact that we are sons of God, and if sons, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. He says the things that He has given to Christ, He has also given to us freely. And we have that as a current possession, but how does that change my life today? That's what it comes down to. Do we actually believe <laughs> that we are justified freely by His grace? Not just initial salvation, but the fact that we have been declared righteous. Because that's what justified means. We have been declared righteous. Not because of stuff we do. Because of what Christ did on the cross. And of course, I always try to point there because I don't really have that up. But what is it? He says, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The Father says, I believe what Christ did on the cross is sufficient. And I'm going to give that to you the moment that you're saved. And I'm going to declare you just as righteous as He is, even though you don't look like it, sound like it, act like it, feel like it, whatever. He says, you are just as righteous as, as He is. Because He's given us His righteousness. And He says what? Being justified freely by His grace. It's a done deal. And that's the issue as we take a look at these things. Take that and move over to chapter 5, verse 1. In fact, let's, let's look at chapter 4, verse... Start off at verse uh, 21, and then we'll move on to chapter 5. <clears throat> but here's the thing. What is it? We are, we are justified. This world won't teach you that. By the way, religions that come from that world won't teach you that. Religions from this will say, you can gain that if you do X, Y, and Z. Well, I've done X, Y, and Z. Well, you need to do A, B, and C as well, right? So I've done A, B, and C. Well, you need... And there's always this list of things you have to do. And we've said this before... There are no check boxes that we have to check off. God's already checked them off for us and says, I, I've given you this because you've trusted in what my son did. 
you're agreeing with me of what my son did was in chapter 3, he talks about whom God set forth to be a propitiation, that Jesus Christ was a fully satisfying payment for his justice, and God says, I've accepted it, and all I'm asking you to do is the exact same thing. Believe that what he did is enough. Don't add anything else to it. Believe what he did was enough, and then you've got it. Notice here, uh, Romans 4, verse 21. Of course, this is talking about Abraham and Sarah and the things that they were going through and how Abraham staggered not in verse 20, and he was strong in faith. Verse 21, and being fully persuaded. You want to know what being strong in the faith looks like? Be fully persuaded. That's what it is. It's not that somebody's got some great faith that... And this is the stuff that I grew up with is if you believe hard enough, well, how hard do you have to believe? <laughs> There's not a scale to that. All he's saying is what? Be fully persuaded what God hath what? Promised that God, that what, that what, that what he had promised, he is able also to perform. Question. <clears throat> if God has declared you righteous, is he able to perform that for you? Yeah. And do you know what faith says? I agree with that, and I am fully persuaded that what God has said is true about me. Even though I don't look like it, feel like it, act like it, anything like that. But the good news is, is when I take this truth that I now know, Romans talks about no reckon and yield, Right? It's not just enough to know who you are in Christ, but we have to believe it. We have to count it to be true for ourselves. And then we say, flesh, go live who we are. Don't go live who I used to be because that's not what I want to do. Because I know that's not glorifying to God. I know that that's not who I am in Christ. But I'm going to take this information that I know, move it down into my heart, believe that it's actually true, and then I'm going to go live based upon that knowledge that I've counted true. And we've said it before. You can't yield what you've not reckoned, and you can't reckon what you don't know. And it's really interesting as we go through here. But what does, what does Abraham do? Being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. <clears throat> verse 24. Well, verse 25. Who is delivered, talking about Christ, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus Christ never rose from the dead? We couldn't have that. Verse 15. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point behind 1 Corinthians 15 is dealing with resurrection. And he says, the reason, he says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification so that we could get it. If he just died, then our sins are paid for. But the fact that he rose from the dead is what allows us to be justified. And that's who we are because we've trusted in what he's done. Chapter 5, verse 1. Here's where it gets really good. Even better, if you will. Therefore, what? 
being justified. Again, is that a process we're going through? No, it's something that we have as a current possession. The fact that we are justified, notice, by faith, we have peace with God. This world cannot give you peace. Now, the peace that he's talking about there is judicial peace. The fact that we will never have to stand in judgment for our sins with God ever again because he took care of them on the cross. And if there's one that he's not, that he's not gotten, then Christ was not a fully satisfying payment. Does that make sense? So when he says this, he says, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ because of what he did. Notice, by whom also we have what? Access. How? By faith. By faith. What's that mean? Being fully persuaded what God said will come to pass. Do we wake up and do we feel like we have peace every single day with God? Sometimes we don't. Why don't we? Because we're carnally minded we're worried about life out here right and i get it life out here can get can get you down sometime but what do we have here we have access by faith into this what grace, grace. so we have access into grace by way of faith notice What's the last three words there? Wherein we stand. Do you know where you are? We're right there in His grace. So then when Paul's going through life, and over in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Lord, take this thorn in the flesh from me. He asked him three times, what was Christ's response? My grace is sufficient. What's Paul's response? I now know I am completely and totally equipped here. And he says what? Much more will I gladly glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's life. And he says, my grace is sufficient. And what we have to do is we've got access to that grace, but we, how do we access it is by faith, by believing the words on the page. That's all faith is. Faith isn't some nebulous thing or, you know, I might be able to attain to some level of faith. It's just being fully persuaded what God has said He is able to perform. God says, I've put you in my grace. That's where you stand. That is our current position. Now, what's interesting is we have this stand in grace, but we're also seated with Christ in the heavens. How can you be standing and seated at the same time as the Father does? So then when we talk about that, and that's what we're, we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 2 here in a little bit as well, because that's one of those things that we want to make sure that we keep in mind. Notice, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. 
And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were without strength, before we got saved, when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you glad to know that you're a part of that ungodly that He died for? To me, I find that that's who we were, right? That's that Ephesians 2. The Romans 1.29 that we looked at. The Ephesians 4. The Titus 3. We know those things. We know who we were. Notice this. Drop down to verse, verse 9. To me, this is, this is really interesting. <clears throat> Much more than being now justified by His blood. Now, I want you to think about this real quick. In verse 1, we're justified by what? Faith. Verse 9, he says, but, but uh, being now justified by His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. So then, what do we have? We're going to be saved from wrath. Now, one of those things, we've talked about this before in, in passing sometimes. That word saved, every time you see it, doesn't always mean salvation from death penalty of sin. What is it that we're saved from there? Wrath. So when we see that word saved or salvation, we've got to think of saved or, or salvation from what? Just because it says saved, don't automatically think salvation from death penalty of sin. And the majority of the time it'll tell us. But notice, he says what? We shall be saved from wrath through Him. Notice that's a future thing. So then, what does faith do? Faith says, I believe that I will be saved from wrath because what God said He will do, faith says He's going to do. Right? In Romans um, 15, Paul talks about, I think it's verse 4, says, those things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. When we look at, and you know, you talk about the, 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 the replacement theology thing. If we believe that, that doesn't give us hope because that means God lied to the nation of Israel. But if God says, I want to do something with the nation of Israel and I want to set up a kingdom here on the, on the earth, a literal, visible, physical earthly Davidic kingdom vested in Jesus Christ where He's going to sit on a throne and rule and reign forever, and of His kingdom there is no end, that will happen. And what we can do is say, God's promised that to them and we believe that He's going to do that because the verses say it. So when He says... I'm going to save you from wrath, then what do we get to do is we say, I am comforted by the scriptures that he wrote to the nation of Israel and says, when he completes those things, I know that he's also going to complete the same things that he's promised to us. And that's what faith is. Just trusting what God says. Notice verse 10. For if when we were enemies, now you go back to Psalm 110 and find out what he was going to do with his enemies. And then this is completely different than that. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Now, we talked about the four different kinds of reconciliations uh, a few weeks ago, 
again, that's another one of those things. Just when you see, just because you see reconciliation doesn't mean it means the same thing all the time. You got to look at reconciled what to whom and all that. But notice, much more, here's that word again, being reconciled. All right? So, reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. Salvation there is what? It's that one. The context there, the saved from wrath, the way he does that, he's going to save us. How? By his life. The way he's going to do that, he's going to save us from wrath and all the things we have. And of course, then he's going to start talking about sin. Notice in verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Is that something we're waiting on? No. If he says you've already received it, then what does that mean? You've got it. You've got it as a personal present possession and nobody can take that away from you because he gave it to you through his son. Now, we've got, what, just a few verses and we've got a pretty good list here of stuff of who we are and what we are. And that's different than most anything else anybody ever going to tell you. And we've got a whole bunch more to go. And also I mentioned, when you look in Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans 1 and Ephesians 4, when we look at who we were, that list will pale in comparison to the list of who we are now. You know, when you think about you, growing up, that, that verse that says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. We were always told that if you think God's going to heal you, He's not just going to heal you. He's going to heal your finances and your, and your problems and your family issues and all this other stuff. And your cars are going to drive better and all this stuff. That's what I was taught. That's what that verse means. No, He's going to do more than what you brought to the table. He's going to replace... He's going to replace what we brought to the table with a whole lot more. He's able to do more than you can ever imagine. Would you have ever thought... You know, in school sometimes they'll say, uh, create your own country and come up with your own laws and all this stuff. Think about this for a second. Think that you have an opportunity, because everybody, a lot of people do this. They'll say, well, if I was God, I wouldn't allow this, this, and this to happen in the world. Well, try this out for a second. Would you have ever thought that you would go and be, be a partaker of the people that, you, that, you're, that you've created, that you would go and take upon their form and die on the cross for them? Who hated you? Who hated you? Would you have ever thought about that? The answer is no. So then when we think about all the things that God has done for us, let's keep going Let's take a look at some other things. Chapter 6. <clears throat> By the way, if, if we really want to find out a lot about us and who we are, just spend time in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Just read those three chapters over and over again. And I promise you, you'll find something new every single time that you didn't notice before. Notice here in Romans chapter 6. This is, this is right on the heels of Paul talking about knowing and reckoning and yielding. Let's start off in verse um, 14. 
Now, if we know and reckon and yield correctly, and we yield our members as righteousness unto God in verse 13, notice verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. You know what that means? We don't have to allow sin to control us now. Now, does that mean that we're going to live sinless, perfect lives? Absolutely not. But guess what? We now have a choice where our past, we didn't have a choice. We couldn't have done anything correctly. We were under the dominion of sin. But now, that's taken away. Notice, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law? Isn't that a good question that everybody asks? Well, if you go preach grace, what's going to happen is people are going to go live however they want to. The problem with that thought process is that's thinking about God in a carnal mind, not in the spiritual mind. And it cannot be further from the truth. The more you know about grace and the more you know about faith and what God has done, you'll see those things in life and you say, I don't want to do that anymore. And how can I have victory over that? He says, right here's how. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? What's God's answer? God forbid. That's When you look at this carnally, you say, you're going to teach somebody liberty. Paul says, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Don't use your liberty to make your flesh to live based on that world system. He says, but use your liberty here. Notice, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are. To whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Do you know what that means? We have a choice that we can make every single day. Do we make that choice based on who we have become or who we were? Hopefully it's to who we have become. Notice, keep on going, verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were. Notice that past tense. Ye were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Isn't that the issue? You take doctrine, you, you, you know it, and you reckon it to be true. That's what he's talking about there. That form of doctrine. You have obeyed from the heart. Where is your heart? Right there in your soul. By the way, your soul has mind, all this other stuff. We talk about um, the D we train, right? Doctrine, intellect, will, emotions. How does the world work? Emotions. You look at any social media, it's all emotion. The world in which we find ourselves today is built on emotions. Then that emotion says, will, this is what I want you to do. I want to take that and that's going to form my intellect. And then that's going to be what I live my life on and teach other people. You know what that is? That's Romans chapter 1 going this way. Going this way, doctrine is the issue. You know, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16 where Paul says all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine. It's the very first thing. He says, doctrine, 
intellect, will, and emotion. Our emotions should be based upon sound doctrine. That's the way it works. If we go this other way, if emotion always rules, then we're always going to have problems in life. Always. But if your emotion is built off and driven by the doctrine, our intellect, and our will, then that's going to fix it. And this is what he's talking about here. We, we, uh, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Notice, being then made free from sin. Have you ever thought about that? And again, is that being a process or is it done? He's saying, you're free from sin. But that doesn't mean we don't sin. What it means is we know how to deal with it. We know what it did to Jesus Christ and we know how to deal with it and we know how to put that off and then put something on in its place. Notice, being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Servants of righteousness. Drop down to uh, verse 22. He says it again, verse 22. But now, being made free from sin, it's a done deal. We don't have to sin. We will because of this thing right here. Because of this. The flesh. The flesh is going, we, we're still dealing with it, so we're never going to be done with it until we get rid of it and we get our new glorified body. Notice, but now, again, when, now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. <clears throat> not only does understand, not only does, you know, learn how to study the Bible clear up the Bible, but it also allows you to live a life that religion won't let you live. And we talked about it last week. <coughs> Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Let's go take a look at that real quick. Go over to Galatians. <coughs> because I want that to be kind of the, 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 the main issue as we go through here. <coughs> Galatians chapter 1. Um, let's just start off here. Is that the one I'm thinking of? thinking of was it oh um, 
it was connected to that and something else. <clears throat> um, it's in Corinthians. First Corinthians 15. Yeah. No, no. Well, what what it is is when I was looking at Galatians chapter one, it took me over here. So yeah, First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking for a second. Don't you hate when you think of something? You're like, I know exactly where it is. And mm-hmm. here's the funny thing is, both Galatians one and First Corinthians fifteen is in the exact time. same spot. Yeah on my Bible, and I had it, so there it is. I knew it was on the left-hand column right there. And All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8. Paul's talking about seeing Christ, the resurrected Christ, verse 8. And last of all, He was seen of me also as, one of, as, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. And here's the best part. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Doesn't that seem kind of heady and high-minded? I worked more than these people. But do you know why he's able to say that? Because of the rest of the verse, yet not I. But the grace of God which was with me. The reason he's able to say, I labored more than they all, it's not because I was doing stuff, but because his word was working in me to say, body, go do who you are. And he's saying, I did it, it's not me. Which is Galatians 2.20, right? Let's go take a look at that one. Galatians 2, chapter 2, verse 20. <clears throat> This verse, this verse is the main one that just when you when you believe this verse, <laughs> not just know it, but when you reckon it to be true and you yield your life to this, notice, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Who's doing the living there? Christ. Christ is. Just like who's doing the laboring back in 1 Corinthians 15, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but it's the grace that was in me. Notice, and the life I now live in the flesh. He's not talking about waiting to get up there and sit on clouds with a harp and all that stuff, right? He's saying right now in the flesh, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's Christ living in and through Him that makes it possible. And all this stuff is possible because Christ is in us. And the question is, is do we believe the verses? Do we know them? Step one, have we counted it to be true? Have we moved it from our head down to our heart? And have we moved it from that to the body saying, body, you're going to go live who you are, whether you like it or not. Because it's completely opposite of this. What what the world is going to do, use emotions to come to your body and say, I'm going to promise you physical ecstasy if you follow what we're doing, and then all this stuff follows suit. But what Scripture says is, 
God's going to take his spirit and his spirit bears with our spirit. And we say, I'm going to believe that and move that down into my soul. And I'm going to say, I'm going to now yield my body to the verse and say, you're going to go do what it says I am. And normally what happens there is not a physical ecstasy. You're probably going to get hurt for it. <laughs> Physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever it is. You're going to be, you're one of those people. You actually believe that book, don't you? One of the Wednesday things that I do at school, one of the kids on his way out of the class, he was like, he actually believes this stuff. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a compliment. <laughs> he didn't mean it as a compliment. Huh? Why did he show up? Well, that's a good question. Um, but it's one of those things, like he didn't mean it as a compliment. He's like, that guy actually believes this stuff. And it wasn't like, oh, man, this is a good guy. It's, I can't believe he actually believes these verses. But that's what it is, right? That's how we have to be able to live life. And it's not just knowing some stuff to say we know stuff, to be able to draw charts or be able to say, I know more than you or anything like that. It's how much of that head knowledge have we actually put into practical use every single day. Now, we know the, old, the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. It's a daily intake of God's Word. And when we daily take God's Word in, the more we know, the more we can reckon. The more we reckon, the more we can actually yield. We can't say, I know a verse here, and then try to make my body go do something. It's not going to work. By the way... Um, I've got a lot more verses here, so we're definitely going to finish today. But I want you to see something real quick. Go over to Ephesians, because I want us to keep this in mind as we go through the rest of this, the rest of this series. Go over to Ephesians um, chapter 4. <clears throat> and this is, this is what I want us to keep in mind as we go through this. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we'll just start here at verse 17 and read down through the passage and then we'll, we'll do some more stuff with this later on. But notice in Romans or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So Paul's just got through talking about how the local assembly is supposed to work. All right? The actual face-to-face -face meeting with people. The purpose of it is to edify one another in love. Well... If you're not living with somebody in person, it's hard to edify them unless you're living life with them. The, the purpose of the local assembly is to be able to live life with each other, to help each other out. If something's bad going on in life, being able to share that life with other people is so important. And that's, that's the issue what he's talking about there. Now, I say that to say this. Verse 17, this I say, therefore, because of all that stuff, dealing with the local assembly, the way it's supposed to be ran, and the purpose of it, this I say, therefore, <clears throat> because of the edification process that I've just laid out for you, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, from this point forward, walk not as other Gentiles walk. How do the other Gentiles walk? Other Gentiles walk this way. They care more about the body than they do the spirit. In fact, most people out there only believe that there's a body and there is no soul or spirit. 
they think once my body's dead, that's it. There is nothing else. So the majority of the time they're working this way. What does that produce? Notice. In the vanity of their mind. You go back to Ecclesiastes and you see that word vanity, vanity, all is vanity. You read Ecclesiastes and you're like, man, kind of depressing. But notice verse 18. What's the result of that vain mind, that vain thinking? Notice, you've got vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So he's saying that's how Gentiles walk. But notice he says, don't walk that way from this point forward. You know what that means? You had saved individuals at Ephesus who were living just like that. And he's saying, by the way, they were saints of the Most High God. They were living like those folks there. And he's saying, from this point forward, don't live that way. Why? Verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. None of that stuff is this stuff. He says, But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. That means you had saved people who were living like they were unsaved. Yet they were still saved individuals. And he says, you make the choice now to take the stuff that you know, count it to be true, and yield your life to that and stop living that way. Why? Because Romans chapter 6 says you're no longer under sin. In fact, you're freed from sin and you don't have to live that vain lifestyle. But oftentimes we still do. And there comes a point where we have to make a choice not to do that. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. And he tells us <coughs> how to do that. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So your spirit has a mind. Your soul is your mind. <coughs> You're able to communicate that way. And then you're going to say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the things that you're telling me, Paul, about who I am, and I'm going to say, I believe that's who I am, and I'm going to go live my life that way rather than this way. I'm going to live based off of this rather than that. And that's one reason why it's important for us to remember who we were. So that when we see who we were pop up, we say, get rid of that, replace it with who we are. And he's, he gives us this. Question? I was just going to say like, uh -uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so notice, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which is after God, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore putting away lying, 
Speak every man truth with his neighbor. So what he does is he gives us examples. Instead of lying, put it away. What do you do? You replace it with speak truth with them. He continues on. He says, um, <clears throat> verse 26, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. <clears throat> let him that stole steal no more. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands, that the thing which is good. He says, stop stealing. What do you put in its place? Go get a job. So you don't have to steal anymore. And it's a choice that we make. And he goes on down through there dealing with some other things. But that's what, that's what this is all about. That's why we were going through who we were. Who we are. Recognize who we were so that we can replace the were with the are. And what that's going to do is allow us to do. By believing the verses on the page and being fully persuaded that what God has promised, He will perform when we believe. You know, in Philippians it says, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. The longer we're alive here, the more we get to put off and put on, but oftentimes we don't like to put off. That's what Paul's telling the folks here at Ephesus to do. Now, you take a look at that stuff, and, and he starts off, and he calls them saints. <laughs> In chapter 1, verse 1. So then, what we have to be able to think about is, <clears throat> God's dealt with sin, so that we can deal with sin. We have a place to take it. We can take, we can take it to the cross. The cross is the issue. He's already taken care of it for us. He's already forgiven us. And that's what he says in chapter 4, um, at the end of there, verse 30, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath past tense forgiven you. How much better would life be if you could live it knowing that you have already been forgiven by the one that really can, can hold something against you? You know, you think about that and then you go back over to Romans chapter 8 and you find out the one that can condemn you died for you. Pretty good stuff. He's not going to condemn you because he's already died for you. He's already taken care of it. And he's saying, you have the choice now to believe what my verses say and allow that to be the issue as you go and do. <clears throat> you know, Ephesians 2 says, we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's his desire that we're able to do that's what grace is. Grace isn't a license to go do whatever we want. Grace is a license to say, I have the liberty to deal with that thing in my life and fix it. Not I, but Christ in me.